Well, today we began a short series in the Holy Spirit, thinking about His work and activity, the person of the Holy Spirit that we encounter right at the beginning of Scripture. And today we're thinking on Pentecost Sunday about the, the role of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit in creation. And to help us do that, we're going to read from Psalm 104. The words will be on the screen, and you can also maybe follow along if you have a Bible app on your phone or something like that, and you can follow along with us. This is Psalm 104, and we'll begin in verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles he touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. We end there giving thanks to God for his word. It's so precious, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word, and it's for us today. As a parent, I find myself often asking the question, who did that? Who did that? Whether it's spilt milk beside the dishwasher, or maybe footprints that are muddy and on the carpet. They're usually my responsibility, by the way. But, or maybe it's a rude noise at the breakfast table, or a loud shriek or a scream from the back seat of the car. Who did that? I want to find out who the culprit is. Spend a lot of time doing detective work to see who is responsible for the activity and the chaos and the mess behind me. Who is the culprit? There's a 17th century physicist and mathematician, Isaac Newton, and he built a model of the solar system to help him with his studies. And one day, uh, a fellow student who was studying alongside him uh, and, and an atheist came to his house and saw the model. And he asked Newton, who made this model of the solar system? To which Newton replied, nobody. And his friend said, that's ridiculous. Of course, somebody made it. To which Newton replied, how come you find it so difficult to accept that the model of a solar system has to have intelligent design, have to have a creator behind it, and you find it so easy to accept that the real thing does not have to have a creator? Who did that? Newton asks. Who is responsible for Everything that we see around us, the opening words of Scripture tell us something of incredible significance. They tell us about the beginning of everything. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful. 
the Lord God made them all. This was before Pinterest, before Dulux shade cards, before fabric samples and carpet swatches, before all of that stuff God created. He didn't have computer automated design to imagine what it might look like. He didn't need the help of someone else to project an image so that he could design from that. He brought it into existence by his own power, unaided by anyone. There was no one else, only God. He has no beginning or end. In the beginning, God, God before time. To ask the question, who made God, is to wrongly assume that he is a created being. Everything else is created by God. God is uncreated. He simply exists. To, to ask who made God is to wrongly assume that somebody is a higher authority than him, that he is dependent upon someone other than himself, that there is someone before him, and it's simply not true. If he was reliant on another person, he would not be God. If there was someone before him, he would not be God. Speaking of the Father in John's gospel, John says, the Father has life in himself. That's not true of us. We don't have life in ourselves. We need God to give us life. Speaking of Jesus, Paul tells the Colossians, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We cannot say that. God is before us. We can't say that about ourselves. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Job says, the Spirit of God made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. As we gather for worship on Pentecost Sunday, it's important to be reminded that God was before all things and therefore he does not need anything from us. God doesn't require or need anything from you in order for him to be satisfied or in order for him to be God. In the beginning, God, we are completely dependent upon him, but he is not in any way dependent upon you. Hope you find it helpful this morning. If you're coming to worship carrying some weight or burden, thinking that God needs this from me, that God is in some way dissatisfied because I have not brought him this thing. He is not enriched by anything you can give him. He's not looking at the food in your cupboards. He's not looking at the balance of your bank account thinking, if only I could get access to that, then I would be happy. I've told you before that when my kids buy me a birthday present, it's great and I love it and I appreciate it and it, it delights my heart, but there is a hole in my bank account that is exactly the same size as the present that they give me. <laughs> I am not enriched by them. I appreciate it. I love it. But there is an exact hole the same size as whatever that present costs. They don't have anything of their own. And it's the same with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the one who meets our needs and supplies us with good things. We are dependent upon him. He is not dependent upon you. I hope you feel the liberty of that this morning. I hope that frees you from any burdens that you're carrying in relation to your understanding or thinking about God. Psalm 104, verses 29 and 30, when you take away their breath, they die. When you send forth your spirit, 
they are created. God brings us into existence by His Spirit. Don't get things the wrong way around. He gives us life. We cannot give Him life. If you're way down, I'm glad to be able to announce the good news of the Bible that in the beginning, God created without help, without aid, without you or without me. He didn't need to go to B&Q or Ikea or Screwfix or even Andy's stores to get supplies in order to make the world. He spoke it into being. Let there be light and there was light. Creation's voice proclaims that he is Lord. See, by his power, each tree and flower was planned and made. And today on on Pentecost Sunday, we're thinking particularly about the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing about creation. Verse 2 of Genesis 1 says, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before everything burst into being, before there was creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. And I think this teaches us to wait. That's the one word I want you to take away from today, just to wait. No one likes to be told to wait. Do you mind holding? Could you please hold? Do you mind going on hold? Be with you in a minute. Before everything burst into life, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the deep. There was formlessness, chaos, void, time of emptiness and darkness. And isn't it good when we open the pages of the Bible to see where God is in the emptiness? Where is God in the void? Where is God in the chaos? Where is God when it seems like there's nothing? God, the Holy Spirit's hovering over the deep present in the absence. And so when when you look out and before your eyes, what you're most conscious of is absence or void or formlessness or chaos, and you think, where's God? God's not in this. According to the opening lines of Scripture, God the Holy Spirit is present in that exact moment, in in the exact place where you think there is void and chaos, emptiness, formlessness. God the Holy Spirit is hovering present and real in a time like this. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to his disciples. You know, the, the disciples have been on incredible uh, mission trips. They've seen the lame walk. They've seen the blind receive their sight. They've seen the deaf hear. They've seen Lazarus be restored to life. They've seen Jesus crucified, buried, and raised to life. And he's commissioned them, go and make disciples of all nations. And they must be thinking, right, let's get going. Let's go and spread this message to the whole world, but Jesus says, wait, wait. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples needed to be aware that they could not fulfill the Great Commission in and of their own enthusiasm. They couldn't do it in their own strength. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't get puffed up and proud. You can't make disciples of all nations just by human ingenuity, just by human excitement, determination. Don't have a go at the Great Commission on the back of some positive experiences in your life. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit if you're going to see people's lives transformed. 
Jesus will build his church, but he will do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay where you are. Wait. I wonder how the disciples responded to that. How would you respond? Having seen all this incredible stuff, having been eyewitnesses, having received the commission, you're told to go, and then you're told to wait. I've been thinking about how much of our church activity has had to stop over the last 12 to 15 months. Thinking about how the buildings used to be buzzing with life, parents dropping off kids and other parents coming to pick up kids and every room filled and hard to get a space and, and, and then just emptiness. Thinking about how our church services used to be like totally packed with people, having a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service and then uh, 6.30. And, and now there's so much space even among us so much space in the pew, so much seemingly that, that is empty or void or a gap, and it can, easy, it can easily get you down. You can easily feel the weight of that and think, like, what, what is going on? All this busyness and buzz that there used to be has gone. There's void. You think, well, God, where are you in this? Will the volunteers return to their responsibilities? Will the work of the church continue? Will the things that we used to do be possible? It seems like there's been so much inactivity that time is lost. Will we get those opportunities back again? And, and then we read in the opening pages of Scripture that God the Holy Spirit is hovering over the void, over the deep, over the emptiness. And then God speaks and everything is created. He brings everything into existence by his own power. And maybe the disciples are kicking their heels in Jerusalem thinking, can we not just get cracking on this mission? I mean, how, how are we going to make disciples of all nations if we're all stuck in the one postcode? It's just not going to work. D didn't Jesus say make disciples of all nations, but we're, we're just all in one city? It doesn't make sense. Shouldn't we just get out there and get this thing off the ground? Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 were added to their number that day. One sermon. The church grows by 3,000 people. How many Alpha courses would you need to run? How many summer mission trips? How much human activity could bring that about? How many years and years and years of your work and my work can bring that about? None, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Do not panic about emptiness. Do not panic about the void. The Lord added to their number that day about 3,000 off the back of one sermon. And it was all by his power. Martin Lloyd-Jones Martin Lloyd says this, when God acts, he can do more in a minute than a man with his organizing can do in 50 years. I find it really encouraging. Really, really encouraging. God by his spirit can do more in a moment than 50 years of activity. This will transform how you relate to other people. If you believe this, it would prevent you from trying to manipulate people to get your own way because God can do in a moment what he wants. 50 years of wasted activity trying to manipulate in order to get revenge on the person who wronged you. It would give you peace about the minor frustrations in your workplace because all I need is the Holy Spirit to work in this situation and it can be resolved. 
It would seal your lips from gossiping about someone to paint them in a bad light so that you could elevate yourself because God the Holy Spirit can create. It would give you a fresh and and liberating perspective on the person that you are jealous of at this present time because who knows what's around the corner for them and who knows what's around the corner for you and God by His Spirit can do immeasurably more than all we ask or even think. It's liberating. It would grant you power to, to love your imperfect husband or your imperfect wife because God the Holy Spirit is at work in them. Wait. Continue to love. Continue to trust. Continue to hope. Wait. It would help with all the anxiety you feel about your present circumstances or your future. Wait for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Wait and God will act. Be still and know that I am God. It may be that when someone looks at our lives, they say, who did that? How on earth was that possible? Just like I look at stuff all around me and say, who did that? I remember my youth pastor in First Carrick noticed some graffiti on the walls of the church and he got a group of the BB boys to sign their name on an A4 page. Just He was saying, hey guys, give me your autograph. And so they all signed their name and then he just folded the page where it said D. And he, he walked around and <laughs> held up this page where it said D on the page and D on the wall. I said, who, who, did, who did that? And the signature match, who did that? It was obvious who was behind it all, and, and Dee was confronted with his own activity. Who did that? What about your life and mine? Is there evidence that God did it? Is there any definable way that this is God's doing in your life and mine? He created everything from nothing. Maybe your husband doesn't yet know Jesus. Maybe your children used to be about the life of this church or showed an interest in faith and they're a million miles away. Maybe that person in your alpha small group hasn't given their life to Christ yet. Maybe your parents have grown spiritually cold. Maybe your brother or sister has. Maybe your closest friend seems a million miles away from faith. Maybe you've grown cold yourself. Whatever the void is that you are most conscious of this morning or most aware of, you can be sure that God the Holy Spirit is not rummaging through a warehouse somewhere looking for resources in order to to fill that gap. He has all the resources himself. He has no needs. He is able to create. He is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or even think. He's not limited in any way. He's always been a competent and, and capable creator. And he doesn't need anything from you or me to fulfill the purposes for our lives. He can do it on his own. He can help us by his power. I don't want you to think that this is a guarantee that God will make your dreams come true, that everything you wish or long for will be reality, but because he's not a genie, he's the Holy Spirit. But you can wait patiently for God to do his good creative work in your life and the lives of other people. You can be incredibly hopeful in prayer for people who don't yet know Jesus because what was your spiritual condition and what was my spiritual condition the moment before we came to faith? Stranger. Jesus sought me as a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. What's your testimony? I once was dead spiritually. 
and I was made alive in Christ. That's the story of every person who is brought into the kingdom of God. I once was blind, but now I see. The moment before you had sight, what was your spiritual condition? You were blind. You were not displaying potential. You were not showing signs that you might be a good recruit for the kingdom of God or an excellent church member. The, The spiritual condition of your life and mine was dead. We need it resurrected. And so, if you look at situations that seem bleak or you look at a person who seems a million miles away, don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. Don't write them off. Give thanks to God that he sought you when you were in exactly the same spiritual condition. Don't look at your neighbor in despair or your work colleague or your friends or your family members. You you should have incredible hope. Once you were not a people, Peter says. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were nothing and he made you something by his power, void, empty, hopeless, And then God, the Holy Spirit, worked. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. God did something to bring you to life by his spirit. This should humble us. This should humble us because we're very quick to think that we we showed some potential. We think that we're likely candidates for grace. That we lived in some way that twisted God's arm to give us his love and mercy. Not true. We we should be excited about the potential for Newton Abbey and, and Belfast and know that 50 years of our strategizing would not compare to a moment of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to sweep into the kingdom of God as many souls as he longs to sweep in to gather in just like he did at that first Pentecost. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We should wait for God to do what only God can do, not be concerned about emptiness and void. It's, it's, always, it's always what he creates from. He doesn't need your raw materials or, or mine. Wait. I hope you find that helpful as we, as we emerge from a pandemic and as we think about how, how do we get back, how do we do church again? Are you willing to wait for God to do what he's promised or, or is your instinct, let's just get really busy. Let's, let's bring our own energy. Let's bring our own intelligence. Let's bring our own creativity to this. Of course, all those things are important. This is not an excuse to be lazy before God, but it is a, it is a reminder that we need to come with humility. With our let's get cracking impulse, think you, you're not capable of bringing about spiritual reality by human activity. The presence of the Holy Spirit hovering over the deep at the beginning of time is a good reminder to us that we should not be afraid of emptiness. We should not be afraid of void. We, we should be comforted in our own emptinesses, comforted in our own voids, comforted in our own chaos to think this is exactly where God the Holy Spirit hovers. Because I know I'm tempted to think this is where God is most absent. All I can see is emptiness, This is where God is most remote or distant. But you see how Scripture renews our mind? Helps us to see, actually, this is where God is present. 
God taps us on the shoulder and says, there's another way to view your circumstances. That's what the Bible does. That's why we should spend time in His Word. We don't think like this instinctively. Our instinct is to look at emptiness, void, chaos, and think God has removed Himself from that situation. But from the opening pages of Scripture, from the opening lines, we find Him hovering over the surface of the deep. This environment that is most empty is where the Spirit dwells. He works here. Everything that exists came from this ground zero. Can I encourage you this week maybe to read Psalm 104, verse 30? You can maybe even just go over those nine key words. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. We need the creative energy and power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit to create what we cannot create. Can you wait on him to work? Can you be still and know that he is God and, and you are not? Just as we finish this morning, I, I met with someone at the end of this week and uh, it was fine, but I came away from that meeting probably more conscious of what I hadn't said than what I had, more conscious of what I hadn't done than what I had done. I was fixated on the fact that I'd been wearing a mask and was hard to understand I was feeling low that things were more difficult in that particular visit or meeting than, than lots of other visits that I had done or lots of other meetings that I'd had. I was annoyed that I'd had to keep my distance. I was thinking about times when I was able to take someone's hand and pray for them and, and how important that was to me at a time to be able to take someone's hand and say, with you in this, I'm praying for you. And I came away from that experience probably feeling like I was trying to do what God had called me to do with my hands tied behind my back. And I was down about it. I was feeling obsessed about my ineffectiveness. I was moaning to Rachel about it and she was rolling her eyes as she does when I get down and uh, negative about things. And later that day, I got a text message from a family member to say how valuable it had been for their dad to have me present with them. And it really humbled me because I was more conscious of what I hadn't done. I was more conscious of my weakness, more conscious of all the things that could have been better. And God really challenged me because I believe he was reminding me that when he acts by his spirit, he is more effective than 50 years of Michael Wiley doing textbook pastoral care visitation. It's not about my activity. It's not about your activity. It's about what God the Holy Spirit does. And he doesn't need me. And he doesn't need you, but he chooses to use you in his purposes. When you send your spirit, they are created. May you know the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your circumstances in the week ahead. May you wait in him. Don't be afraid of emptiness. Don't be afraid of void. From the opening lines of Scripture, that's where the Spirit is most present. You've got to teach yourself to believe that truth. It's counterintuitive. May it be an encouragement to you in the areas of your life where you feel most aware of lack, most aware of emptiness, chaos, and void. When you send your spirit, they are crushed. Let's take a moment to pray. Let us pray. Lord, you are the creator. <clears throat> You're the one who creates all things from nothing. You don't need us, yet you choose to use us in your purposes. When you send your spirit, they are created. 
Help us, Lord God, to bring our lives before you. Help us to look to you again and to wait upon you in fresh. Come by your Spirit and renew our hope in you. Give us eyes to see people as you see them. Give us eyes to see our circumstances as you see them. May our lives be unexplainable by human effort. May people say, who did that? And may there only be one answer, that our lives are explainable by your activity and your power. Holy Spirit, we trust you. Holy Spirit, we look to you to demonstrate your power in our lives. We pray that in all the things that perturb us or concern us, that we would wait and that we would trust you to do what only you can do. We worship you, Lord God, and we bless you for your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.